0: At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. All right. Welcome to the show today, folks. I'm your host, Doug Crow with the Author Your Brand Show. And we've got a very special guest today, all the way from Geneva, Switzerland, by way of Italy, to talk about his book today, which is might be a controversial subject. And I'm really curious about what this is all about. It's called Outgrowing Capitalism. Our guest is a strategy consultant, author of this book. Uh, it's being published this month, actually, in November 2021. Unless you're watching this later than it was last month. And his name is Marco Dondi. Marco, how are you today?
1: I'm very good. Thanks, Doug. And thanks for having me on the show.
0: You bet. So tell me a bit about yourself, your background, and then tell people what they're going to get out of the, what they're going to learn today about your book.
1: Um, so quickly about my background: studied a mix of economics, finance, management. Uh, um, spent early days of my career in management consulting. Did some volunteering uh, in Africa to kind of find my purpose. And out of that journey and some meditation, I got to the side to write "Outgrowing Capitalism." So wow. yeah, that's the. All so right. So what I what I hope what I hoped I guess to pass on with this book and from today is a bit of. Convincing the readers and the listener that uh, I think it's probably time to rethink a lot about uh how we have organized society given the challenges we have today, and it's possible to do that. So that's the positive. That's, the a, positive, big, that's uh, a big uh, order.
0: Okay. That's a great, great order. And we're gonna have a lot of fun talking about this because you've got a great um controversial topic for all those, you know, strong, strong capitalistic people out there like myself who believe in that stuff, but also believe in the other currencies in our world the currency of innovation and community and and goodwill and the, what you said well-being in your book so let me ask you some question this so when you say outgrowing capitalism um i got so, so many directions i want to go with this um you talked about the evolution of it i think about the background where it started from and how it's changed so yeah. tell me about the, the the evolution of capitalism
1: yeah and so maybe the I guess to the strong capitalists like yourself it's i'm not proposing to dismantle capitalism but as everything that evolved and every system needs to evolve i think capitalism was born in a place where uh it was an agrarian society where every bit of capital increased productivity and gave um, the ability to not be subject to the rains and the gods sending the rains, but uh, to the ability to reliably get food uh, and then in time uh, much more than food with industrial revolutions and so on i think we have shifted in a place and so in that time every bit of capital and every bit of uh, increased productivity uh, was giving a meaningful increase in the uh, prosperity and livelihood and and ability to live uh, a decent life uh, i think today we are way way beyond that point and so that's the point about growing right i think we have outgrown the world in which we lived when capitalism was the best alternative and the best option and so it's a bit looking at uh, uh, what's after what's uh, what are the possibilities we have today with this um, you know first the information and communication and technology revolution now we have an artificial intelligence uh, um, wave coming towards us we have new challenges like climate change. So, in this new context uh, of developed countries with lots of technology, uh, global supply of labor, which we don't know how to employ, uh, you know, what's what's next? Do we still need to everybody works with everybody work full time for 40 years of life at whatever conditions, whatever job we manage to get a hold of, or can we reframe and reshape society in a way that is different and and it has more opportunities for every every
0: individual? Okay. So, where do you think it went off the rails? It started out being a pretty good system, right? And now it's it's transformed. What's what elements have made it? I mean, I have my opinion. I want to hear your opinion on what what made it start to decline in its value or efficacy.
1: I think some of it is just context. Uh, I think there are still many countries and many situations in which capitalism is probably. best play the best system in in some version of it because of course capitalism there's very different versions and maybe the second part of the answer is i think at some point in the 80s capitalism especially in the us and in the uk has taken a bit of a tangent uh, in if you want an ideology of um no regulation no shaping which is kind of taking a bit the the uh almost the direction of I wouldn't say anarchy is probably a strong word, but it's it's a bit of a, let let's just let the power like everyone in the system and the free choice. But at the end of the day, is is the prevailing powers in the in the in the system to just sort it out, right? And I think once you do that, I mean, capitalism was born still out of legislation and regulation, right? Otherwise, you have everyone fighting over every piece of land, right? So so you you always had some legislation and some regulation. So at some point in time, you said no more and i think at that point it took a tangent where um i think those that uh, had privileges had a situation in which they could just uh um
0: write the law defend
1: them and yeah
0: (laughs) pretty much i mean most of our you know our our tax code in the us is like ninety thousand pages or something and i don't think a single legislator's ever read it it's all comes from the lobbyists and the well, i call i use the term crony capitalism you know Pure capitalism, where people are like, hey, I have an opportunity, go do good, great. But when the the, the chess board is is set up by people, then you can only go so far. That's in my opinion. I think it's where it's derailed in terms of it's. Um, you can go so far, but get to the next level, it might not be a very clean clean game. I guess. Um. Okay. So you're not a you're not a like you said. You're not an anti-capitalist. You want to just outgrow it and change it into something more uh better for for every people concerned do you have a um process for that
1: um so i would say a couple of them yeah. um i think and, and it's more i wouldn't say it's, it's a process right i think it's more uh, um different levers in the in the in the system that you would pull at different times right so i think the first one is uh and, and this is why i call the system monetism is the lever of how do we create money in society and, and who gets to allocate them, right? I think today that and this is where uh, common wisdom or common knowledge is, is, is not uh, up to speed, is that most of... So every year we need to increase the money supply, the amount of money, whether it's physical or digital, that, that we need to, to sustain a growing economy. But the way that is created uh, according to the theory that you leave the market uh, on their own and it's the best way to organize everything, uh, it's created by whenever you or I ask a loan to a bank and they create that loan, they create a deposit. And so most of the money is created by as a byproduct of lending. Uh, so that process leads to giving a lot of purchasing power wherever banks give loans. And the theory is that that's the best way To make sure that those loans create value and that money creates value the practice is that most of that new loans year after year go to whatever has a collateral uh, like an asset and most of it is housing right so my first touch my my first lever is we create too much money that goes to uh, chase limited supply asset particularly houses that makes houses very much not affordable to the common people Um, and that's why uh, you know we pay so much in rent and mortgages because there's so much money that is being channeled in in that way and so you just have too much money following too little goods Um, and so the first thing is if we start to change the way we create money and and we do it in a way that is as much uh, equally distributed as possible and so my proposal the first part part is like change the like at least the expansion of money don't make it up to the banking system Uh, just make it such that the banking system can't create so much money like uh, the portion of money creation we need every year goes to everyone in a universal basic income and then it's our spending decisions that actually drives the market, right? It's uh, it's how I spend that new money creation that will steer the market into producing what uh, each of us need. But it doesn't have to be houses because the reality is that most of us wants to live in cities and the supply of land is limited. And so unfortunately, we just okay. have inflation of houses.
0: So I'm that's one lever see, yeah. and there's a few more. I'm curious about yeah, the UBI just... thing first, as long as you mentioned that Universal basic income is a really cool concept where no matter who you are, you get a you know a a amount of money coming in so you're not like living in the street right that's basically what it is and you're Um, suggesting that that money gets printed up by the government and just doled out
1: I suggest that it's not that whole right I think you still need to balance a bit the uh if you print too much you create inflation so there's still so much you can print um you know if you Constraint enough the amount of credit that banks create, you have a lot of room to print. Uh, whether that gets us to a full universal basic income that in this is sufficient to cover, you know, health, education, food and, and housing. I, I don't think that's the case now, but the basic would be to start from is at least, you know, your food uh, and, and your basics are covered. I mean, in Europe, health and education are still are already free. So it's basically food. I think in the US, there would be if, if you don't change your education and healthcare system, the UBI in the US would have to be more generous to cover a bit of those as well. Uh, but yeah, that's our, the basic. Our so, system
0: here is, is a little bit messy. We've got, you know, food stamps, welfare, disability, Medicaid. We've got uh, you know, about I don't know, I think it's like 30 to 60 percent of our budget goes towards health and human services. It's several trillion dollars. And I, uh, you know, unwinding that and Coming in with a new system that would be without regulation or without without a lot of uh, other other fingers in the pie, that'd be great. But the, the challenge is, how do you how do you get a monster like the U.S. government to adapt something like this? Um, so That's like it's like a reality check. Yeah. It was just theory. We're talking about fantasy land. But how do you really go? Hey, let's go ahead and actually do something.
1: So, so I look, the first thing is, in, in reaction to COVID, the U.S. government had to do exactly this, right? So it's uh, they, they it was a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say improvising, but a lot of it, they had to come up with a system to give some money to people. They decided on some eligibility criteria and they had to make sure money actually got in bank accounts. Right. I think f- since long ago, I think it was Ben Bernanke that said, it's probably good if as a tool to fight next recessions, we have a system to just inject cash straight to people from the central bank, right? So I think the starting point is actually to say, this is just a better way to manage crisis. When the economy needs money rather than just send central banks, banks in uh, buying whatever asset you have, just get them to give people in, into the pockets, get the money into the into people's pockets. So I would say that's the starting point for me, is like uh, you create an infrastructure where every citizen has a bank account at the central bank, just for emergency. So so that's the starting point. Then I think if at, if one day you see that uh, there's just not much need of work, like uh, we can actually decide to, you know, innovation and technology have, have started really to take over. And I think we're not there yet, right? But the, the opportunity is there for, uh, for some for, for many people to work less, and I think already in Europe many work less than you guys in the US, right? But oh, uh, sure. part of it is sure. this, this yeah. structurally. Yeah. Um, but but you know we can definitely think of a world in which people work I don't know instead of four years uh, for forty hours a week uh, they work four days a week uh, for up years of life, right? And therefore uh, you need to you you may want to supplement that the salaries that they gain through that system with with some extra cash that incentivized them mm-hmm. to say, you know, I don't need to work five days a week and I don't need to work yeah. four years of my life.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. So working less, getting paid, um, using the central bank versus the our system goes through the government and they, you know, the uh, the last 1.9 trillion went to a lot of infrastructure, but it went to a lot of other, what we call pork barrel projects, where some local guy adds an extra 500 million for his own thing. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a different system um let me ask you a question about that money part though because i'm curious on how that works I'm looking at something real quick here when if people are working less and you just start giving them money and we just print it up aren't you concerned that it would turn in like venezuela or i mean inflation is going to have to happen that money has to have a accountability doesn't
1: it uh so two things on this one one is that the fact that uh banks create money the, the money that banks create if well, it's the great product, money
0: the us the treasury the federal reserve prints it
1: uh no that's the part that i was mentioning it's it's uh, like most of money we use for transactions today mm-hmm. is banks deposit it's it's not the resource that the federal government or the treasury spend into existing if you follow the mmt narrative uh, most of today's money is deposits created by, the, by, by banks, by retail, commercial banks. And so right. okay. well, as soon as you get a loan in a bank, it's yeah. not that they give you pre-existing savings from someone else. They, they expand they expand the balance sheet. And so they create a new deposit. And that is what, uh, if you look, I think the Bank of England made, a, made it very transparent. Like 80% of the money today is banks' deposit created by banks' lending. Yes, because they can loan the out in America. They can
0: loan out nine times their deposit. Every dollar they can loan it out nine different times here. I, th- I think it's a, it's
1: a it's not it's not something like it's revolving, right? So so if I give you a loan and I get uh, fees, that's equity for me as a bank, and I can loan on that as well, right? So so the re- the reserve is not to be thought as is one to nine fixed. Is like a, even what I create if I make money out of it. I can, you know, that is a new base to build on top, right? So there's no fixed uh, or limited amount, right? Like yeah, uh, it's okay. it's it's a system where you can just expand, um, and and so therefore this is to say it's not that we're not creating money, right? It's a, it's a, and, and the more financialized is a, is a, is an economy, the more money banks create, and and that's why you have such a huge growth of. Uh, loans and debt to GDP, right? Because the finance is just exploding. So so that is creating inflation. It's just a different type of inflation. You see it in the housing market, you see in assets, you see in stocks. So so that's the inflation you're getting in that way. Yeah. Uh, and so indeed, if you print money and you give it to people, you know, they'll spend it on something else. So you'll see pressure on something else. If there is something that you can expand supply, you have created growth. If it is something that is housing or or other things where you can not increase supply, if it's energy, yeah. then you create inflation, right? And so that's one thing, just to clarify. On Venezuela, look, I think all of those. First of all, the, the comparison doesn't like. I'm not writing this for Venezuela, right? I'm writing this for the U.S., for Euro, for 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 countries where there's institution and central banks that know how to manage inflation, uh, and 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 so that is not the same comparison. And and what I want to point out is Venezuela, Zimbabwe, Germany in the '20s. All of those situation happens for a shrinkage of supply, right? If you if you if you crash your businesses and you don't allow them to operate of course you don't have products and so if you resort to printing it's hyperinflation yeah. in germany you had a whole region uh, that uh, they basically say go on strike because you're taken over by france uh, just don't produce and in the meantime they print money right so it's always a combination of i think a shrinkage of supply and a desperate government that is just printing right so these two elements need to happen and none of these i mean now you're seeing a bit of this with covid is not, uh, not as big as, uh, you know, Venezuela that is sending my the friend, business my to My friend, down.
0: our our national debt, the money we owe is $28.9 trillion. That's just our debt. You know what our unfunded liabilities is? Unfunded liabilities, 100, 000, 000, $161 trillion. Dollars. Do you know how much that is? That is impossible for us to ever repay impossible there's not enough money printed up to repay those debts
1: so let's start with the first one so the first one you say is your debt yeah that is
0: yeah.
1: public debt
0: that is uh which the is stuff? yeah yeah mm-hmm.
1: yes so so that is and so i think a better measure is general to see public and private debt right because households has debts as well companies have debts sure, and so yeah. you should look at total debt right the Typically, what happens is that uh, the amount of debt you have over GDP
0: yeah.
1: is a driver of a variety of things, but it's not necessarily linked to the like w- when you shrink the public debt, either you cause a recession or you expand private debt, right? Because this goes back on money and debt they are tied, right? You have some assets, real assets, okay, that's oftentimes it gets to be the right. collateral. But otherwise it's it's a It's, uh, you know, Adair Turner wrote a a nice book uh, four or five years ago, calling it Between Debt and the Devil, right? Where he said, if you, I don't know if you've read that one, but it's like, uh, it's either either you increase debt and you're fine with living with higher debt. And that includes public debt. Or uh, you go towards the devil, which is doing some of the things that I mentioned to do in this book, right? You need to play a bit more with printing. Uh, Because the reality is, of course, as long as we have a, a system where any new money needs to come together with a new credit and a new debt. It's just a matter of who who takes on that debt, right? And so is it the public or is it the private? My point of view is that uh, it's better to have the public or the corporate sector take on debt because governments and corporations live forever. So they don't need to repay. They just need to revolve the debt continuously and and, and grow it, right? Yeah. If you if you had households taking on debt, well, I, I'm gonna die in in, in some decades, and either I repay that debt or, or or there's a crisis, right? So in general, you would want more of the corporate world and the government world to take on debt in order to be sustainable. So today, I think many are are saying, you know, public debts are actually maybe calling it adapt is even the wrong uh, the wrong word right if you if you if you listen to the modern monetary theory narrative
0: yeah yeah i, I don't know i just look at the numbers on i get this one uh, website i look at it once in a while it's called the uh it's just us stuff man so it's just us but usdebtclock.org and it's got the public and private debt on here The corporate it's got everything on here and uh, somebody did the math on it years ago when our debt was only like it on um, three trillion and it was like they stacked up all these numbers like it, you could take all the money from all the rich people and all their assets and not pay off the debt. It's like this. It's like you said, it's not you can't really pay it back. It's not even a thing. So it's like, you know, what is money? It goes back to your, you know, maybe maybe closer to your thing. Like, you know, what is the, Is it really the best way to measure things? Yeah, it's gotten it's gotten uh, morphed to the point where I can't even I can't even understand it anymore. Um, so it's interesting. So it's, it's very, very curious topic. I like it. Um, But, uh, you know, if you look
1: at Japan, or or, or there are other countries that are more indebted from a public perspective than the US. Uh, I haven't looked lately. uh, Compared to GDP, I mean, not in absolute terms, right? But I think you always want to see relative terms. So the the public debt of Japan compared to the the GDP is like... I Think 270%, something like that. I think the US one is is uh, not much above the hundred, I think it's uh, probably now but by now yeah, 140
0: hundred forty. It's our our debt, our US our GDP is twenty three trillion and uh debt is twenty nine, yeah, twenty nine trillion. But our unfunded liabilities, people forget that one. That's um 161 trillion. That's all so the promises me we've made on, on... Excuse me, promises we've made to our citizens for social security and, and Medicare. There's no money I mean, but, but this but this number
1: it depends on the, the where you look right if you look at the future like uh, in in uh, then you also need to think of uh, what are the assets and the revenues that are going to come in right so if you compare the 161 trillion unfunded fund liability yeah well if it's over the lifetime of the citizens alive today it's i think you need to stop i uh, guess I
0: you want to do the math that before you comment on that that's not going to work no way i did this for a book four years ago and by the year, like 2030, every dollar of current social security number money had to come from $1 from somebody else who was living. And with the age differentials, it unwinds. There's not enough money coming in from the current revenues to pay my social security. I might make it, but my kids won't. There's, I mean, they already all that we had a trust fund for that. And they rated that years ago and they give it, you know, IOUs. But even that is is completely whacked out. You take 200 trillion dollars. it's just a, it's just much bigger than anything mm-hmm. you can you can imagine. Okay.
1: Look, that's some big numbers. If you if you if you take a few decades you take inflation into account, uh, but any I, I haven't done the math, right? So it's uh, oh, it's yeah. not something that uh, I,
0: I, I I could show. Somebody did it once. They compared it to like like a, um like a, like going from here to the moon, right? They said, so, well, if you you know put from here to like New York to California is like a million dollars. But here to like Alpha Centauri will be a trillion dollars. It's a big, big ass number. It's, it's really, yeah, it's it's hard to because our brains can't even comprehend a million really. You know, we can get to about a few hundred, a thousand. What is that? Well, we, we associate with some visual. But when we say millions, billions and trillions, we don't realize that that's like a thousand million. You know, it's just, it's a big number. Or no, a million, a million. It's just, it's nasty. Anyway, these are the US problems. How are things over in Switzerland and Italy? Are they doing better than we are?
1: Uh, I would I would say marginally. I think it's uh, <laughs> Switzerland is a bit of a Switzerland is an interesting case because it's uh, yeah. there's uh, lots of cantons. Uh, it's very it's very decentralized uh, type of uh, administration, and yeah. I I don't know Switzerland enough to comment. I think in Italy I can tell you that indeed. That, but in Italy we have different problems, right? I think it's if I compare yeah. some of the if you want almost opposite right some of the southern european countries i would say they are they have managed to almost uh, my opinion here right but like go to the excess of uh, defending some or like protecting at all costs some some workers right so um you know the system is probably still you know overall unbalanced but i think it's really difficult to to get uh, you know sometimes people to actually commit and do real work yeah uh, if you want yeah. you don't have this uh, this uh, I, I think when i go to the us and i and i speak there like uh, uh, people do have this mentality and mindset uh, i need to i need to make it on myself like uh, it's almost it's you're you're ashamed if you are on social security or or in, if you're dependent on others and so but to some extent it's 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 a uh, you know the lack of protections that I, uh, you guys have in the us here in europe we, we Sometimes we don't comprehend them, right? It's like a, it's like you you would hope that at the point in which we have reached in terms of development, uh, yeah, you would kind of be a bit more uh, inclusive and uh, and I guess uh, what's the word that we often solid like uh, we talk about solidarity in Europe, right? That's yeah. uh, that's yeah. a bit of it that uh, you need to have, right? Then too much people take advantage, but but you need to
0: find the right balance. get the balance right. You know, it's funny. I um I've done about three books for the healthcare system. Talk about. The difference between europe and america and for all of our independence and individualism and whatnot the healthcare system again it's it has been corrupted years ago i mean i got a, i got a book i can show it to you somewhere here oh yeah years ago this is a chart that we we created on the uh difference between doctors and administrators this is a growth a chart from the 1970 to 2010. the blue line is the increase of physicians, right? Yeah. That's doctors. Red line, administrators. <laughs> so, so, it's like, oh, well, there's a the problem. We can sort of see where that's going, right? And uh, yeah. it's 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 been a mess. So, of all, even though I'm, you know, libertarian capitalist, I think uh, a centralized healthcare system would probably be better than this convoluted thing we have because it's messy and it's it goes back to the reason the reason it's messy too much money can be made in it now yeah and i was i was
1: wondering i was i was reflecting right because uh, i mean I'm, I'm definitely not against the markets right but at the, some at some point i see that in some situation the markets really fail hard right so i was wondering you know what are what are those situations and i was thinking you know when you think about healthcare this is yeah. one situation where you it's like if you're left to your own devices and you are about to like uh you know i'm gonna die if i don't care of myself right so i'm gonna be willing to spend anything like you tell me i spend it right and the same is education of your child uh you know buying a house these are these are markets in which on one hand you have basically it's 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 my life or or like something that i care to as much as my life right if you leave it completely to free market yes i mean uh what happens i think in the us uh, I, i was reading some stats like it's you created a system to get access to education and so you have a long guarantee scheme but you know it's like uh people are willing like there's no competition the banks are not competing on on, on giving low rates right like no. for them it's like everyone will spend whatever they like it's, it's the education of their kids right there's no like uh, of course they're yeah, gonna exactly. spend like why would i compete on price and i think you can follow a similar argument for for you know for healthcare For houses you know everyone like i I need a house like if i if i give you bigger loans and i increase the price you need so there's something around those markets where it's it's uh, we call it in economics is inelastic right whatever the price look it's a basic i need to get it like so so i think you need to add a bit more uh, thinking and, and structuring and, and, and setting the guard race. Otherwise, yeah. the markets and the private sector will just take advantage
0: of it. It's, it's a funny meter, right? Because if totally free, you can do what you want, but pollution whatnot, and totally regulate it, it slows down to a crawl, right, or a halt. So somewhere in this middle is where ideally, like I said, we both love capitalism. I just don't like how it's gone this way, and I wouldn't want to go back to the uh, you know coal burning things with no scrubbers on it, right? So we need to have a yeah. way to, to monitor that. Have you um, looked into the, the new thing called DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations?
1: Uh, no, I haven't. I
0: haven't more. That's right up your alley, man. That's, your second book should be about that. Seriously, look it up. It's blockchain-based. It's decentralized autonomous organizations where everybody really lives and, lives and monetizes on the chain. And it's autonomous and it's, you know... So I'll tell you that, so, so my
1: reaction though to this on, on the money side, which is of course yeah. what I know, know and written right. about is we had a very decentralized and I, I would argue we still have a very decentralized monetary system. So in the 80, in the 1800s, mm-hmm. every, you, you could, uh, I mean, there is some regulation, but you could, if as soon as you get it, you can set up a bank and create your own currency. And, right,
0: and, I read that, yeah. So so yeah. Th-
1: that is nothing, is, is nothing, new actually we moved away from it because we had thousands yeah. of currencies bank took advantage of it some yeah. some printed too much uh, currency became worthless yeah. uh, you had banks so, so that it, we moved away from it right mm-hmm. so you know now there's this decentralized uh you know everyone creating their own cryptocurrency is like it's really going back to 100 years but now right. we have a digital means on which to do it mm-hmm. and yeah. you know i'm i'm you know it's it's a field that i think needs reform right so i'm all sympathetic of of uh, yeah. anything that shakes the system because i think we just need innovation but on right. this one it's it's uh, my argument is to some extent is to decentralize this system right and this is go- going back to the to to it's all up to banks and and borrowers right um yeah. it, it's money really comes into existence when you and a bank agrees to give a loan and it's up to what you need as a person and what or a company and what the bank's profit maximization um, logic gets them to fund which unfortunately is your your real estate yeah you're never gonna
0: you're never gonna gonna battle uh goliath as david you gotta have that slingshot which would be i think blockchain will be help only way to take away their power is to go around them you can't go through them they'll kill you you know they just they control everything
1: this is one I I look with interest. I I'm yeah. skeptical as much as I'm an innovator and a, like a reformer for sure. It's like yeah. a, this one I'm a bit skeptical, but I, you know I might be completely watch wrong it. and, I'm and yeah. on this. i watch it.
0: I know. Yeah. Don't. I'm not saying invest. I'm just saying watch it and see if it's. It could be. A, it could be a method because I I love your ideas. I don't like the idea of the um you know obviously the the debt UBI. I'm still not sure about that part, but I'm not an economist. I'm looking at probably very simply. But I am into well-being and the other currencies of the world, which is community service, all those things. It's just hard to get a a return. You know, people say, "Well, I, you know, all my employees are healthier here because of what I did." Yeah, where's my money? And like, huh? You know. So, how do you have a way for well-being to to be? I don't know. M- measured.
1: So, so the. I mean, you have to split it because the first uh, topic you mentioned is about employees well-being, right? And actually, I think there are a variety of studies now proving that uh, employees that are more engaged and better, they are also more pro- productive, right? Yeah, so so sure. that is, and with this great resignation movement, uh, this is one place where companies are, I would say, almost a bit scrambling to say, I might be behind the. Behind the wave, and I be the yep. one left out without talents. So, so I think uh, this is actually companies have have uh, almost uh, been, you know, shocked awake on this, yeah. um, because there is there is measurable value from from a more engaging and, mm-hmm. and, a, and a employee that is uh, healthier uh, mentally, physically, and so yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, now, on the on the measuring well being in general, um, that's where i you know there are many measurements and i i, get, I think it depends if you take subjective yep. well-being when it's you know the happiness your life satisfaction your fulfillment uh, or you 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 and there are some approaches and but that's easy right you basically ask people it's just what question you ask them yeah. and so you can measure and monitor right and i do think there's value in starting to uh, refer more to those because uh you know for example if you look at those metrics you, you are concerned in the us right because uh, there hasn't been any meaningful Improvement in the happiness and life satisfaction of citizens, and so at the end of the day, it's like, and this is from 16, 1965, right? So, yeah, so right. at some point, it's just like, okay, what, what, what are we, what are we doing all of this for, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I the think point? there's
1: merit in at least uh, you know measuring more and public like publicizing yeah. more of those. Um, and then there's other approaches that basically saying you know you can split well-being in your different dimensions. You have your you know sense of community. You have your environment well-being. You have mm-hmm. your mental. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a variety of metrics, and and you know there are some approaches that are it's it's more um, expensive to measure because uh, you come up easily with a hundred indicators. uh, yeah, right. any of yeah. those are showing, and you know ultimately. What's interesting again for the U.S. is that uh, when when they rank countries based on those dimensions, whatever approach you use, the U.S. doesn't come any close to the top ten, right? So you always have the Nordic countries, you have your Australia, your Canada, yeah. uh, you have you have even your Costa Rica, you have China, typically that is higher up than the U.S. So yeah. I think it's it's if, if I wasn't and, you know, from a European, uh, uh, i come often to visit the us right but i think living there and like uh, it's there's there a few things to tweak there uh i think other ca- forget about our growing capitalism right i think there's few other countries <laughs> that have that have figured yeah. out a better balance uh but overall i think it's uh, you know bottom line uh, it's always the us that has the innovation of the world on on economics thinking yeah. and theories as so well we're good on. on
0: innovation for sure um but yeah i'm i'm generally happier in Costa Rica when i'm there for sure yeah I get it that's good yeah oh man so great talking to you Marco really really cool very interesting stuff I'm glad you're not a communist you know that was my biggest concern you mentioned your in your thing here we're not not talking social here we're talking about doing things just surprise different. I'm very surprised it's uh surprise. it's uh
1: sometime in the US that's this uh this ol- almost like uh if you're not capitalist you must be a communist or a socialist or like yeah like I,
0: I it's like, it could be. Every, yeah. The labels we put on people in our country shocks me and I, I have to battle it myself. And I'm like, no, I wanted to have you on because I'm curious about this, not because I want to fight you and say, what do you mean? We're outgrowing capitalism. Capital is the greatest thing in the world. I'm like, well, yeah, it, unless you get you know slapped by some some judgment that your competitor put together. on. I mean, there's a lot of crappy stuff here, but I just love learning. And yeah, I'm, I'm not in the labels. I'm glad you're not in the labels. I'm not calling you anything except a brilliant author. And I'd like to look forward to your second book. When we, we just keep observing this blockchain stuff, because I i hope it'll I hope it'll take the power away from the man, you know. That's my that's my dream. So so thank you very let's much. Hold, see, up, 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 hold that book up one more time, Mark. I want to say it again. Outgrowing capitalism. There you go. Yeah. I haven't designed there the cover. Uh yeah. I was that's all right. Completely
1: useless on that.
0: It's, it's not its not replacing capitalism, folks. It's outgrowing it. It's its growing up in something that works better, is what we're saying here, right? Yeah. Indeed. All right. Very Excellent. good. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate you. That was Marco Dondi, author of Outgrowing Capitalism. Really cool guy. Make sure you click below and subscribe to our channel here. Some goodies for you there as well. Have a good one. Doug Crow here with the Author Brand Show.